Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Here at Back Creek Church, we are focused on connecting people with the hope of the gospel. With this week's message, here's Pastor Matt Carr. For those of you who have been around Back Creek for some time, I'm about to ask you a question, and so I want, to be, I want you to be ready to give me an answer. You ready? What is the mission of Back Creek Church? Yeah, we'll try that again. What is the mission of Back Creek Church? Connecting people with the hope of the gospel. And that statement is really just our way of articulating the mission that Jesus gave to his whole church. The mission that Jesus gave to all of his followers, which is go and make disciples. It means telling people the good news about Jesus. About the eternal Son of God who came into the world to rescue sinners like us and to reconcile us to God and to give us eternal life in and through Him. The, the real hope that He brings into our lives that He alone can bring. Hope for reconciliation and relationship with God. Hope for the forgiveness of our sins and freedom from the power and the penalty of our sins. Hope for fullness of joy and fullness of life in this life and forever. Hope for the change that we want to see in our lives. Jesus changes everything. And his gospel gives us real hope. In everything we do then, as the gathered church, we aim to put Jesus and the real hope the real life-changing hope of his gospel at the center so that through our worship and through our discipleship programs and through our events and through our ministry partnerships, we are actively at all times connecting and reconnecting unbelievers and believers with the hope of the gospel. We're not always uh, as successful at that as we want to be. But that is always our goal. And we aim to measure our effectiveness as a church by whether or not we're connecting people with the hope of the gospel. And that's our aim as a gathered church, but what about everything we do as the scattered church? Even if you are here, as often as the doors are open, my kids say, that's us, right? Even if you are here, as often as the doors are open at the church, we still spend a lot more time apart than we do together, don't we? We spend more time scattered than we spend gathered. So if we think of church as an organization with physical property, with buildings and budgets and programs and events, and it's only what we do when we gather together, then our mission is limited to our participation in those things. A fraction of our lives that stays here when we leave. And man, that, that's safe and comfortable. Because church stays right here at 1821 Back Creek Church Road. And right here in this compartment of my life as one activity among many activities. So connecting people with the hope of the gospel is what I do when we're here together on Sundays. And maybe Wednesdays, maybe the odd Saturday. 
But our mission is not meant to be safe and comfortable. It's not meant to fit neatly into our lives as one activity among many. And we are not only the church when we are gathered. Church is not what we do. Church is who we are. It's not one activity or a set of activities. It is our core identity as those who belong to Jesus. Your core identity is a part of his body, part of his bride, part of his kingdom, part of his people, part of his church. Not sometimes, all the time. Not only gathered, but scattered as well. The mission that Jesus has given to us is not bound by times and spaces, but it goes with us into all of life. All of us, every one of us, is at all times playing a role in our mission of connecting people with the hope of the gospel. The only question is, how effectively are we playing that role? That's a question I'd like us to legitimately ask ourselves. How effectively am I playing the role? My role in our mission of connecting people with the hope of the gospel. If we are the church, and that's something that we try to say here pretty regularly. The church is us. The church is a people. It's not a building. It's not a budget. It's not a logo. It's not a website. It's not a program. The church is a people. And if we are the church, and the mission of the church is the mission of our lives, then we should ask ourselves regularly, am I effectively connecting people with the hope of the gospel? And answer that question honestly. Honestly. The point of that, the point of my asking that question, encouraging you to ask that question of yourself, is is not to shame me or, or you but to show us how easy it is for there to be a disconnect between who we are and what we believe and what we actually do. And there are a bunch of reasons for that disconnect. I'll just name some of them. Some of us may be unaware. And this is the first time we have really heard clearly about our personal role in this mission. Or maybe we've heard about it, but we forgot. Or maybe we tend to forget. Some of us might be fearful. Fearful of making conversations awkward. Fearful of being rejected. Fearful of not knowing exactly what to say when you're trying to connect someone with the hope of the gospel. Or fearful that you might mess it up if you do. Or maybe some of us, for some of us, it might be a matter of priorities. Because of all that we have going on, we don't feel like we have the time or the energy or the resources to be effective in this mission. Or maybe if we're just honest with ourselves, it's pretty low on the list of things for us to do. For some of us, it might have to do with how we see ourselves and our gifts that God has given us. We're just not good at that. Not good at those conversations. Not comfortable with those conversations. I'm just not wired like that. Have you ever told yourself that? And I get it. All of these have applied to me at different times. Sometimes all of them at once. Some of them apply to me right this minute. How about for you? If you feel this disconnect, as I do, between who you are and what you believe as 
someone who belongs to Jesus and what you actually do with regard to the mission that he has called you to, what's your main reason? What's the main obstacle for that struggle? It could be the ones that I mentioned or it could be any number of others. But one legitimate obstacle that I want to acknowledge and address in the next three weeks. So we're going to have this short series uh, leading up to Easter and our celebration of the resurrection, which as Frank helpfully mentioned, we do every week. For us, every week is Christmas. Every week is Easter. Every week we gather, we celebrate the entire good news and the entire incarnation, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and continual intercession of Jesus for us, even as we look forward to his return. But we obviously set apart a season to especially focus on the resurrection. And as we're doing that this year, I want to acknowledge and address a legitimate obstacle to our connecting people with the hope of the gospel. And I want to I take responsibility for this obstacle. It's that many of us do not feel equipped to connect people with the hope of the gospel. And I want to take responsibility for that. And I want to say to you, personally, I'm sorry. Because it's my job, as your pastor, together with Pastor Mantooth and with your elders, to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. That's Ephesians 4.12. It's our responsibility. I'm sorry for where I and we have failed to adequately equip you to live this mission. And In this short series, this short three-week series, I want us to look to Jesus. I want us to look to Jesus for some very practical steps toward more fully engaging our mission with one very simple but very powerful strategy, the invite. So look with me at John chapter 1, and if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. John 1, 35 through 39. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come. And you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this encounter with these disciples of John the Baptist, and we thank you for uh, what we see in your willingness to invite these men. Uh, into your life and we thank you that we have received a like invitation and that we have been invited into the very life of God and the life of the church through you our savior so we ask now that you would help us to see uh, you as you are as our savior as our lord as our king as our shepherd as our god and also lord uh, as you provided in your incarnation our example for how to be obedient to the commission how to be engaged in the mission that you have given to us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Has an invite 
ever changed your life? Has, it, has an invite ever completely changed your life? I was in my spring semester of uh, my freshman year of college, and I got an email. And in that email was an invitation. And that invitation was from a friend that I had known less than a year. Uh, and she was asking me if, uh, she was inviting me, rather, to escort her to her senior prom and to be her date as friends, of course, to her senior prom. And I responded to that email pretty quickly, I might add, and said, I would be honored to do that, thinking that we were going to go just as friends and have a great time as friends. And now we've been married for 19 years, almost. <laughs> yeah, you can clap for that. Such a small thing, an email invite, made such a powerful difference in my life. That simple invite from Shannon changed my life forever. And I had absolutely no idea that that was going to happen. These two disciples of John the baptizer in this passage were about to have their lives changed forever in an even more profound way. In ways that they couldn't possibly have imagined through a simple invite from Jesus. And our goal in this series is to learn from Jesus how to invite and be better equipped to invite others into real hope. And in this passage, we see Jesus invite these men into his life. And as we walk through, I want you to be encouraged and I want you to be equipped to invite others into your life. And Jesus' approach to this has at least three features. Intentionality, curiosity, and hospitality. Intentionality, curiosity, and hospitality. First, intentionality. Look at verses 35 through 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And we see Jesus' intentionality in the word again. This isn't the first time that Jesus has been around the place where John was proclaiming the good news of the coming Messiah and inviting people to be washed, to be baptized with water uh, as a sign of their repentance and their looking for the Messiah. This isn't the first time Jesus had been there. In fact, he had come to John before to be baptized, not because Jesus needed to repent because he was absolutely sinless and didn't need to be repent, but to fulfill all righteousness that he might be ordained to the priesthood to serve as the great high priest of his people who do need to repent. And so Jesus had come to John for baptism and then he had returned again and again to the wilderness, to the Jordan, to the place that John was baptizing. And he had just been there the day before because earlier in the text it says that Jesus had been there, and John had cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John had explained to the people who were present the day before that Jesus had come to him for baptism, that he saw the Holy Spirit descend on him and remain on him. He said, This man is the Son of God. And that had all happened the day before. 
So Jesus was intentionally looking to make disciples. He was intentionally looking to invite some people into his life to walk with him, to follow him, to connect them with the hope of the gospel, that they might connect others with the hope of the gospel, which comes only through connection with Jesus. So Jesus went to the place where he knew there was a person preparing others to be his disciples. John the baptizer was the promised and prophesied voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. So Jesus intentionally went where he knew people would be who needed him and where he knew God was already at work. Jesus went to the place that he knew there would be people who needed him, and he went to the place where he knew that God was already at work. He showed up and soon would have the opportunity to invite two people into his life. Jesus was on an intentional mission to make disciples. He's still on that mission in and through his church, right? He was on a mission to to make disciples, and he invites and commands us to join him in that disciple-making mission. And what is often missing for us with regard to our mission is intentionality. The mission of our lives is connecting people with the hope of the gospel, but we tend to go about our lives with very little intention of connecting people with the hope of the gospel. What if we went about our other vocations in life that way? What if you showed up to your job with absolutely no intention of doing any of the tasks that relate to your job? Now, some of y'all probably do that, and you should stop. But it wouldn't go well for you. And you would probably soon lose your job because you're not taking seriously the the vocation that you have. What if you are married but you never intentionally pursue connection and partnership with your husband or your wife? What if you're a parent but you have no intention of ever paying attention to your kids or meeting their needs? Are these things going to go well for you? They're not. You're never going to accomplish being a parent or being a spouse or being an employee by having no intention to do any of the things required by those vocations and responsibilities? What if you're a friend, but you have no intention of ever initiating time or conversation with the person you call your friend? Not really their friend. We would never lack basic intentionality when it comes to those other vocations. And yet, we think We can be disciples of Jesus who never intentionally seek to make disciples of Jesus. We think that we can be disciples of Jesus without ever intentionally seeking to make other disciples of Jesus. And I want to call us to intentionality that follows Jesus' approach with just three questions. The first question is this. What is the mission of my life? What is the mission of my life? Why am I here? Well, the truth is, you have a lot of vocations that God has created and designed and called you to. And those are uniquely for you. And they are very important. But what he has called all of us to be and to do is to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. And this is our essential and core vocation and mission of our lives. If you're a disciple of Jesus, your mission is to make disciples of Jesus. And we get to carry this mission intentionally into all of our other vocations and activities. What is the mission of my life? We need to remember that the mission of my life is to make disciples. 
The mission Jesus gave the church, which is me, is to make disciples of Jesus. What is the mission of my life? So when I go to my work, I have a vocation in which I engage in responsibilities. And as I go, I'm seeking to make disciples of Jesus. In my marriage, I'm seeking to help my spouse either become or grow as a disciple of Jesus. The same thing with my children. The same thing in all of our activities. Our mission undergirds all of them. What is the mission of my life? The second question, where are the people who need Jesus? Where are the people who need Jesus? Jesus intentionally went where people were who needed him. And Jesus said this about himself. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus intentionally went to where there were people who needed him. Where do you go that people need Jesus? Your house? Your work? Are you a regular in a restaurant or a coffee shop? Where could you go with more intentionality, with awareness that there are people there who need Jesus? What is the mission of my life? Where are people who need Jesus? And thirdly, where is God already at work? Where is God already at work? Jesus knew John was, the Lord was at work through John, preparing people to meet Jesus. Where do you see God already at work in the places and among the people that you know who need him? Where do you see God at work? Do you see someone that you know who is striving to be a good person? Striving with all of their might to do the right thing. To be good in the hopes that if there's a God, that they will be found worthy of eternal life. Well, God is at work. He's written the law on the heart of every person. And so people naturally, even though we're naturally and inherently sinful, we also know that there is a God. We know that he demands good from his people. But as Christians, we know that we can't achieve it. And so we get to meet someone who is counting on their works before God with the good news that we don't have to count on our works because we can count on Jesus' perfect work on our behalf if we will simply trust in him. That's good news to someone who's striving to do it by their own work, right? God's already at work in the lives of people all around us who need Jesus and haven't met him yet. So ask the question intentionally, what is the mission of my life? Where are the people who need Jesus? Where is God already at work? Inviting people into your life starts with intentionality. Next we see Jesus show curiosity. If you look at verse 38, Jesus turned to them and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? What are you seeking? I love this. Jesus doesn't seek to preach to them or launch into a gospel presentation. He doesn't say, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. He doesn't say, I have four spiritual laws for you to follow. He doesn't say, if you died tonight, are you sure that you would go to heaven? Those things absolutely have their place in our disciple-making mission. But if we are inviting people into our lives, one of the most powerful tools that we have is what Jesus shows here. 
curiosity. So often we are giving advice that has not been requested or answering questions that people are not asking because we are so concerned with ourselves and what we have to say. By contrast, Jesus, who is the only person in the world who not only has all the right answers, but is himself the right answer, the only one who has the right to call attention to himself, instead focuses on these two men by asking them a question and showing genuine curiosity. What are you seeking? If fear is one of the obstacles that keeps you from engaging in your life's mission of connecting people with the hope of the gospel because you might make a conversation awkward or you might mess up or you might not know what to say, curiosity can be for you a superpower. It allows you to not make the conversation about you. It frees you from the pressure that you put on yourself. Here's why. Because people generally love to talk about themselves. Right? That's why we end up giving advice that nobody asks for and answering questions that nobody's asking. Because we like to talk about ourselves and what we think and what what we think is right in whatever situation the person didn't ask us our opinion on. People generally love to talk about themselves. So here's the corollary to that. People feel loved when we invite them to talk about themselves and show genuine curiosity about them. Also, the more you learn about someone, the more opportunity you have to ask deeper and deeper questions and to find out where God is already at work in their lives. In a disconnected, anxious, angry, and crazy busy world, genuine curiosity about another person, asking questions and listening to answers is really powerful. Now, It might be hard to get into the habit of asking questions. You might think that you already know the answers to the questions you're going to ask, but I would just remind you that Jesus already knew the answer to the question that he was asking, and he asked anyway. And showed genuine genuine curiosity toward these men because he wanted to reach them and connect them with the hope of the gospel. Jesus models invitation through intentionality, through curiosity, and lastly, through hospitality. I just want to read 38 and 39 again. Jesus turned to them, saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Jesus Showing genuine curiosity, asked the question, What are you seeking? And these disciples of John evade the question. They don't answer. Evidently, they're not sure what they are seeking, or they're not ready to tell this man what it is that they are seeking, but they are drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to Jesus because of what John said about him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They're drawn to Jesus because he showed curiosity about them. And they may not have been sure why, but they want to spend time with Jesus. So instead of answering his question, which they weren't ready to do, they have a question of their own. Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus doesn't answer like I might on any given day. I might give an unspecific answer. Oh, uh, I'm staying in the university area of Charlotte. That tells no one where I live. 
right? So I can just skate on, oh yeah, I live in this general area, but you don't know where that actually is, so there's no risk of you maybe asking to come over. Or I might be more specific, but with a built-in pre-excuse. Oh yeah, I live right there, and I'd love to have you over, but we're just really busy right now, and honestly, I have no intention of spending the day cleaning so that you can come over so that I can present the right version of myself to you instead of the one that actually is right now. Jesus doesn't answer like I would. Jesus answers with an invite. And he responds with immediate hospitality. Where are you staying? Come, and you will see. Come on over. Whatever plans there might have been for the rest of the day, because this invite came about 4 p.m., so it implies that they came and stayed the rest of the evening and even through the night because they're with him the next day. Whatever plans there were for the rest of the day, indeed, whatever plans there were beyond that, immediately went on hold. And Jesus invited these guys to just come and stay with him. Hospitality is one of the key ways you invite people into your life because it is literally welcoming someone into the place where your life happens. It's where they now have access to the people and the things that are most important to you. And hospitality can be difficult. Amen? Hospitality can be difficult because hospitality is intimate. But that is also its power. Like curiosity in a disconnected, anxious, angry, and crazy busy world, hospitality is revolutionary. It is a core means of real connection which everybody in the world is hungry for. Real connection. Now, one barrier to hospitality is uh, making it about presenting ourselves a certain way. We practice, quote-unquote, hospitality by saying, we have it all together, see? But Jesus didn't have a cell phone to call ahead and warn the people at the house to straighten up because people were coming. He knew that these people needed them. He was more concerned about them and what they were seeking. So he invited them into his life as it was right then. And when we do that, it's powerful. Because unlike Jesus, we actually don't have it all together. And neither does the person that we're inviting. We give them permission to not have it all together like us and with us. And then we get to point to the one who does. Another barrier to hospitality for us is our addiction to comfort. If we are hospitable, it's with the people with whom we're most comfortable, and we never extend the invite to those who might really need it. And this is kind of, you know, (laughs) my comfort zone, right, is to invite people that I already know and I'm already comfortable with into my space to enjoy that space with me, and I never extend an invite to someone who might really need it. And the place that I've been most convicted uh, about this attitude within myself is uh, in uh, with believers in places that we might call the third world. Places like Haiti and Nicaragua and Colombia, where people that I didn't know and people who didn't know me, because they love Jesus, took what little they had and prepared the most elaborate feast they could, and invited me directly into their home upon meeting me that day to show me hospitality and to show me the welcome of God. 
They're so convicted by those who would extend such unbelievable hospitality in imitation of Jesus who simply said, come and you will see. You know, a few weeks ago in Hebrews, we saw that uh, we are to not neglect to show hospitality because some have entertained angels unaware by practicing hospitality. That was referring to a couple of different instances in the Old Testament. One in particular was Abraham. And what if the three guys, the Lord in the form of these three people, had shown up to be with Abraham and he was like, let me talk to Sarah. Let me get our house straightened up. Let us get it together. Then you can come over. Instead, he immediately responded with hospitality, and he got to fellowship with angels because of it. And I think we miss out on so many opportunities because of our unwillingness or our hesitation to show hospitality. Now, I want to be clear that the invite, the ultimate invite for all of us today is not to do more, try harder, be better. Okay, And I, w- I want to say that clearly. We have talked very practically about intentionality, very practically about curiosity, very practically about hospitality and how we can, in a greater way, engage our mission. But that's not the ultimate invite for us today. The ultimate invite for each one of us today, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, is to hear Jesus ask you, what are you seeking to answer that honestly before him and to find that all of the good that you are seeking is ultimately found in him and then respond to his invitation, come and you will see. Jesus invites you today into deeper connection with him. If you have not yet ever been in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then Jesus' invitation to you today stands. He says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest for your weary souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I know them and I give them eternal life and no one can snatch them from my hand. Do you hear the voice of your shepherd calling to you today? That today is the day of your salvation and you respond by calling out to him and asking him to rescue you. Do not wait. And do not hesitate. Become his today. And if you are a believer, if you've walked with Jesus for a time, perhaps even for a long time, his invitation to you is into deeper connection with him. Because the reality is you can take really great notes on all these practical things that we can do. But you will never do all of these things faithfully or effectively unless you have first been with Jesus. He is the one who invites you again and again, day by day, into his life. So take him up on it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, your invitation to be yours. And I thank you for your grace 
in giving us hearts that are responsive to that invitation, allowing us to come to you and to find in you everything that we need. And Lord, I pray today for deeper connection with you. I pray that we would respond to your invitation to come and see. And Lord, as we spend time with you, I pray that you, by your grace, by your spirit, by your word, and by your example, that you would make us more faithful in the life-changing mission that you have given to us of connecting people with the hope of the gospel. Make us intentional. Make us curious. Make us hospitable for your sake, for your glory, and for the salvation of those who are yet lost. We ask and pray these things in your name. Amen. You can find additional sermons and learn more about our ministries by heading to backcreek.org. We'd love to see you in person for our worship service at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thanks for listening.